Hello and welcome to Mountain Air, a podcast about the outdoors and outdoor people. My name is Dan Aspel and I'm your host. Today's introduction is coming to you from just below the falls of Glasolt. So that is leading into Loch Mech in the Cairngorms. I'm standing in the forest actually, just below the falls, so you can hear the trickling of the glass alt as it nears the end of its journey and uh, heads into Loch Mick from whence it flows elsewhere. I'm amongst the woodland which surrounds, amongst other things, the glass alt shield bothy, which I have stayed in before, but I won't be staying in this evening. That said, the sun has just set behind the peaks. There's a wonderful golden glow around the place. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place to be. Uh, but I've got the length, most of the length, of Loch Mick to walk before I uh, head out this evening. And uh, I am going to get to it. I'll leave you with the sounds of the glass alt for a little bit longer, as it flows down from the top of Loch Nagar. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to outdoor instructor Kirsty Palace, who's based in Oban in the Western Highlands. Kirsty is a mountain safety advisor for Mountaineering Scotland, and she also does much to promote inclusivity in the hills via the group Our Shared Outdoors. Here comes the music. So, Kirsty Palace, thank you so much for joining me here on Mountain Air. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. So, today, I'm presuming that you are near home in Oban? Yes, yes, I'm at home after being away for a week or so, so having a nice day at home. And I can see a sliver of sunlight on the wall behind you, which means it's a beautiful day in the west of Scotland. It wasn't five minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's right now. Yeah. And it probably won't be in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, you know, let's make the most of this conversation then while the sun lasts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, incidentally, I'm sorry for keeping you indoors on a nice day. Um, so let's hope it rains, in fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might hear it against the window soon enough anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Kirsty, there are lots of uh, strings to your bow. And the main thing to say about you, I guess, if we were to introduce you to the audience, would be that you are a, uh, an outdoor instructor and you live in the west of Scotland, uh, you're involved in mountain safety, and uh, beyond that also you do a lot of work for inclusivity in the hills, and that, that's broadly what we're going to touch on as, as we talk mm-hmm. now. But first of all, how are you doing? How has this week been for you? What, what have you been up to? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Um, I had a friend's wedding at the weekend, and then I was doing a wee bit of um, water safety work, um, and then some of my mountain safety job at the office in Perth. Ah. So it's been a varied week, very yeah. varied week. Wonderful. I hope the wedding was nice. It was It was great. It was fab. We had great weather for it as well. Was there a, a Kaylee? Is that appropriate? I it was, yeah. yes. Yeah, and my calves didn't stop aching for about three or four days afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I bet you're fairly well practised as well, so it goes to show how physical these things can be. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. You learn them in school, but they don't get any easier. <laughs> 
Um, so you are involved with uh, Mountaineering Scotland, and I, for the benefit of some listeners that may not know, what is Mountaineering Scotland? So Mountaineering Scotland is um, the kind of representative body um, for people who use the hills in Scotland, whether that's hill walking, rock climbing, mountaineering, skiing, running, mountain biking. Um, we cover all of those activities. Um, it's the, like the Scottish equivalent of the British Mountaineering Council. Um, so it's a membership organisation. And as part of the membership, um, there's perks like discounts and courses and club huts, but also Mountaineering Scotland will push for access and um, look after some of the conservation and some of those bigger projects as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So a big organization and you are involved in it. Am I right in saying that you're a mountain safety advisor? Yes. Yeah. I'm one of the um, the three of us at the moment. So one of the three mountain safety advisors. Yeah. And I guess the first thing that strikes me when you say that is that um, I, I don't consider myself old, but you're, you seem very young. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm 28. So. And yeah. So, you, I mean, you're obviously obviously done a lot of training to get to the point that you're in now. And um, it's it's interesting, you know, because normally, I suppose, when you think about people who are involved in mountain safety, it conjures to mind slightly grizzled old people that have been avalanched 20 times. Um, yeah. And in your case, you have a lot of outdoor experience, I'm sure. But there's also been a lot of learning along the way. Yes. Yeah. So um, I basically got into the outdoors as soon as I left school. Um, so where are we now 22 so um yeah it's been 11 years since i kind of started in the outdoors um and just worked my way through things and not the qualifications and doing as much as i could taking every opportunity yeah and and were you drawn towards the safety element of things or is that what you sort of fell into when you looked for a career in the outdoors um that's a wee bit newer for me. So I only started with Mountaineering Scotland in April um, and it was just, well, I'd been interested in it. I knew Heather Morning who had done the job previously and she'd done it for, I think, 13 years and been great. Um, and it was just a good timing for when the job came up and where I was with what qualifications. Um, so it just seemed like it would have been silly not to go for it. And um, uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's an interesting title, isn't it? Mountain safety advisor. What does your day to day involve? Is it mostly the training of other people? Is it assessing danger? Is uh, uh, yeah, fill, yeah, fill it's quite in. quite a grand title. Um, so my so between the three of us, we kind of have slightly different aspects. Um, but my role is mostly the delivering of courses to our membership. So there, we look at mountain rescue incidents and see what training could we deliver that could potentially help reduce those kinds of things um so our courses cover uh navigation mountain skills we do night nav winter skills um winter navigation um and then there's a few they're like our common set of courses and then there's a few others like avalanche awareness and ski touring um okay. in winter as well and that's specifically to the members of mountaineering scotland is that right yeah, yeah. So they they're all uh, available to the members, um, and if you're not a member, then um, the course cost includes a year's membership. 
Mm. This is always the time at which inboxes begin to fill up. I, you know, I get the messages from Mountaineering Scotland, for example, and um, it's it's always interesting to see what's on the agenda. And it's in a similar messages each year saying, please be aware that this is that the, the mountains change considerably uh, from yes. summer to winter. So is this a busy time for you trying to alert the public to those uh, realities? Yeah, yeah. So this transition, um, we're we've got our night nav courses coming up because it's it's you know that time of year now where it's it's quite easy to get caught out in the dark um but also just thinking about what extra things to carry in your bag extra considerations about the time of year um so things like i not only just a head torch and spare batteries but i tend to start carrying two head torches because it's really hard to change the the batteries in your head torch if you don't have a light um <laughs> yes absolutely. <laughs> so even if it's just a small one um and just taking a few extra layers and those thicker waterproofs and that kind of thing um yeah so yeah it's it's you know we've had the first snow on the hills up here as well so it's it's that time of year that it's easy to get caught out if it's a sunny day because it can change so quick yeah, I can imagine. Like it, when it gets down to any single digit in the south of England, it's 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 almost a given that there's snow on the Munros or or even further down. Um, I love what you say about the head torches. I, I I I find this really fascinating. I love packing a bag. It's one of my favourite things. And uh, I've I've got a sort of you know rechargeable head torch, which is you know pretty meaty and 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 fairly heavy. But I have a lot of fondness for it. And as you say, you always want to pack a second one. You always pack a second one, or, or yeah. some, you know whether it's a spare battery or whatever. But um, Getting that second one, I mean, you, you are on the market, aren't you, looking for the smallest thing you can possibly find. You end up something which is like, yeah. you know, 25 grams, but it makes some yeah. light or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just something that will cover you for two minutes while you sort out your main head torch. <laughs> and the contrast is so extreme, isn't it? Because it's not that long ago that it was, you know, midsummer and there's no need. Yeah. You know, you take, you take a head torch, but you always feel silly for taking it because it doesn't actually yeah. get dark. No, the best you get is like dusky light. And I just, I don't know. It feels like it was only a couple of weeks ago where it was light until like 11 o'clock. Yeah. This, the last few months just seem to have absolutely rushed in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop being in awe of the changing of the seasons. It takes you by surprise every year, doesn't it? Um, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So you're in this role helping uh, spread awareness and, and to teach uh, mountain safety in uh, as part of mountaineering Scotland but how, how did you get to this so you said that you straight out of um, education went into working in the outdoors but when did you first realize that you loved the mountains um so my parents had always taken me and uh, my sister out walking when we were kids and stuff um but it probably the idea of it as a career um was probably when I did my work experience at a local outdoor centre because I thought it'd be a laugh and I'd be like, oh, I'll get to the serious uni stuff afterwards. I'll just go go to the outdoor centre for a week. Um, and it, it was just great. It was loads of fun. And I was like, oh, actually, actually, this is a job as well in itself. Um, and I'd done my Duke of Edinburgh Awards and um, I'd been on various like outdoor activity trips as a kid as well. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. Well, when I first started, I kind of uh, started with a local organisation in a modern apprenticeship as doing outdoor education, um, and I just thought it'd be good fun, and just yeah, something I was kind of done with school. I'd done with education. Didn't fancy it for a while, and thought maybe I'll go back to it. Um, 
And then when I was, I remember being 17 and finding out about the Mountain Training Awards. So that's like the summer mountain leader and it used to be the SPA, but now the rock climbing instructor. And I remember not being able to register for them because I wasn't 18 yet. And then when I turned 18, I registered for them and um, yeah, kind of got started. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I can appreciate that sense of excitement. Um, it's an amazing thing, isn't it, to sign up to something which you know is going to give you some really serious skills um, yeah. and is going to challenge you. That's really exciting. And were you being modest there when you said your parents took you out walking and all that? Because obviously, uh, did you grow up in the west of Scotland? I've lived here since I was nine. Okay. So, yeah, so we- are we talking, you know, my parents took me walking along the Coolin Ridge, that kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we didn't do anything quite that extreme. We did a few Munros, um, but uh, it was it was usually just being outside on the weekend um, and, yeah, interspersed with some bigger trips hmm. to local local hills or going up into Glencoe or whatever because that's not too far. Yeah, so that, that passion wouldn't have caught unless you genuinely you know, loved the outdoors. It wasn't foisted onto yeah. you. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, wonderful. And um, so, so you really, really, from uh, a school age, were keen to engage in this. I love the idea that you were waiting for the moment you turned 18 to sign up to the courses. And um, how did you enjoy the journey of going through the mountain training courses? So you've got summer mountain leader, winter mountain leader, uh, mountaineering climbing instructor as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I've, I've loved them every time. So I did my summer ML training when I, when I was 18 um and yeah i had such a great time on it it was it went to glamour lodge to do it um and it was the organization we were with put me and um emma the other apprentice i was there with through it as well so it was it was really great and then each time i've like kind of moved up a level and done the next training course i've thought oh that was like the best training course i've ever done <laughs> um and they've all been it's been a really it's felt like, yeah, a really positive journey. Like the assessments have been um, full of learning as well. And generally never felt too stressful. Like there's always slightly stressful moments, but overall I've gone away having really enjoyed the assessments. Um, and yeah, the the mountaineering and climbing instructor I passed uh, just over a year ago now. And that one was quite a, a big one that was felt like a long journey um partly because we had COVID in the middle of it all as well <laughs> wow yeah 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 can um, you um could you tell our listeners what these um assessments involve because my, yeah. my only experience is doing the summer mountain leader and I, I enjoyed that very much as, as just as you've reported but I think some people might not know how long or how intense those assessments are yeah so your summer mountain leader your training is six days and your assessment is five days um, and that five days includes a three-day, two-night um, like little expedition, um, and that allows you to take people out into the UK mountains in summer conditions, and you can take them camping, and um, yeah, you can. So long as you're hill walking, you can go anywhere, really. Um, the Winter ML is another six-day training course and five-day assessment, um, and that is a it's a wee bit more weather dependent on the expedition side of things, but ideally you're looking at a three day, two night expedition, but you're snow hauling um, if the conditions are right. So digging um, a hole in the snow and sleeping in it. And sleeping in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
that allows you to take people out into the winter mountains um again hill walking um and you can while you're on journeying through the hills teaching winter skills and, and things like that um and then the mountaineering and climbing instructor is a nine day training course and a five day assessment um and that allows you to take people rock climbing in the mountains or on sea cliffs uh, multi-pitching teaching lead climbing um guiding mountaineering routes so things like the Anahigic or Tower Ridge on the Ben or in the Coolin. Um, and it just, it's kind of like the highest summer award in the UK. I mean, it's its an amazing collection of things to do. And you gave the impression that you enjoyed the assessments. And, and I imagine you've done all the prep because it's not just that training, is it? It's a lot of work and prep and, and experience yeah. levels to, to get to a level where you are likely to pass. Um, were there any dramatic stories from your assessments or moments where you thought, I'm not sure how this is going or anything like that? Um, yeah, I had a bit of a wobble on the the mountaineering day of my mountaineering and climate instructor um, on the assessment day. Um, and I, I kind of knew, I just got myself in a bit of a flap and I knew that it wasn't ideal. And um, I think I knew that I could either let it like, bother me for the whole day and then it would definitely affect my day or I could just try and just like put it behind me and and do the next bit really really well <laughs> which <laughs> which is why why did and so I passed which was great um so yeah they obviously they the good thing with all these assessments is they give you as many chances as they can for them to be able to see what they need to see it's not like a you know if you're if you're deferred on an element it's because there's been several inst- it's like a, a trend rather than like a a one-off slight thing sure sure anyway. yeah so that yeah. yeah they're assessing your overall competence yeah there's, yeah there's a, and- there's a concept um there's a previous guest on this podcast who uh, listeners who even who haven't heard that episode may be familiar with um a mountaineer called alan hinks mm-hmm. and he he likes to talk about what he calls the incident pit where the moment one thing goes wrong it leads to this horrible succession of, of other things which snowball into a yeah. disaster potentially and um, doing what you did is exactly the right thing to do isn't it it's to simply stop analyze forget yeah you know, yeah move, move on that, from the thing which is dragging you down yeah that's it I, I like I remember saying to the assessor I was like I'm sorry I just I just need a minute I'm gonna have a few deep breaths and like just take it from here and they know as well like the assessments are are scary and they know that like everyone's affected by assessment nerves so um yeah they try and give you as many opportunities as they can and where did these take place where did your uh, assessments happen um all around the cairngorms i think yeah around oh. like in the highlands cairngorms yeah wonderful um, yeah challenging so, yeah, environment all, in in, in yes. many conditions <laughs> yeah 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 been there in lots of different conditions yeah definitely <laughs> So that, that's great. I mean, I, th- I think that's a really interesting overview for anyone that's thinking of doing this kind of thing. And it's worth pointing out as well, I th- am I right in saying that this is all within the framework of mountain training and that yes. um, it's not a legal stipulation that you do these courses in order to lead people. It's it's more of a, um, a guarantee that what you're doing is capable and safe. Uh, am yeah. I right in saying so? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, within the UK, there's no... Um no law that says you need to hold a qualification to be able to guide people 
um, in well, for over 18s, if you're working with under 18s when their parents aren't present, that's a slightly different um, situation. But um, but having these qualifications, or if you're looking to book someone and if you know they have qualifications, then you know that they've been assessed at a standard and that's, that these um, qualifications have been developed over years and are using like the best techniques, um, as opposed to somebody who, you know, might, there's some people who don't have the qualifications that could be really experienced and knowledgeable, and there's others that might not be. And because there's no knowing which you're getting, it's a bit trickier. Um, so, yeah, it adds that yeah. peace of mind, doesn't it? It's it's a great thing yeah. for people who are thinking to hire guides to be aware of, you know, yes. look, look out for those qualifications because it's, um, it's an absolute guarantee that they know what they're doing. Yes, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, wonderful times in the Kangoms, I'm sure. Challenging, fun, and wonderful times. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's really interesting that you've gone uh, with this you know, passion straight from school, going into training mm-hmm. to be an outdoor instructor. And, and it's not just you being a, a safety-minded person, but you are uh, an, an outdoor instructor in general as well. You know, you're an outdoor person, and you are, you've been part of Mountain Rescue, I believe, since 2013. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, nine years. Mm. Um, I think the first training... I went to was October 2013 so yeah just just gone nine years <laughs> you know your your career so far is making me think of uh, sports people you know who by the time they're uh, nearly 30 are uh, they've already had a full career <laughs> <laughs> you. you could retire and already be an experienced yeah. outdoor person um so yeah nine years in mountain rescue how's that been for you yeah it's been great it's been great um I yeah I love I love being part of the team um so I'm part of the open team um, which is a very friendly and um, busy. Just, yeah, a lovely, <laughs> lovely team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's, there must be a lot going on. Um, in, a, in a, I mean, because where, where do you cover? What which mountain ranges do you cover? So we cover um, Ben Kruiken, and so that's four Munros there. Uh, we cover the two Munros up at Glen Creeran. Um We cover the south side of the Ben Sarah Range. And uh, the two southern Black Mount Munros that you access from Victoria Bridge. Um, we cover the Bridge of Orkey Hills, the north side of Ben Louis, and then right the way down the Mull of Kintyre and the Isle of Mull. Wow, some beautiful, beautiful areas there. Yeah, but I, yeah. last time I went up Ben Louis was in a crisp, bright, very, very windy and cold winter day. Oh, and, uh, the views from there are stunning. I think I saw Ben Crooken from that from up there. Yeah, um, just yeah, just did. a gorgeous, gorgeous place to be. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah. you must have had a, a lot of activity there. So you're the, I think I've read you're a call-out manager and also <laughs> a training officer, obviously, because that's your specialty. But yes. Um, so yes, tell me what, what your activities have been like. That. How, how does it impinge on your daily life? Um, um, so it depends a little bit. Like the open team are very understanding because I work away a lot. So, you know, sometimes I'm just not at home. Um, but when I'm at home, um, yeah, I try and make call-outs and train in as much as I can. Um, we have like a rolling calendar of training, so it's easier to build them in because you know you know when they're going to happen, which obviously isn't the case for callouts. Um, <laughs> so it's just about having like a bag packed, pretty much ready to go. Um, I usually try and have that either in the car or pretty handy. Um, but you know, there's always there's always a wee bit of time as you're getting information through. So, you know, time to make a hot flask and put a sandwich together or something. Um, yeah. 
because you so operate it, like um I, I actually I don't know anything about this so I should probably shouldn't say anything but I know some fire departments are voluntary um mm-hmm. in certain areas so you you're on call and it's it's like yeah. being part of the fire service you uh, may get a call at any time to head out you know you don't get paid for yeah. this uh, you're doing it because you love the hills and want to keep other people safe in them um and yes so have, have there been times when you've been called out at moments unexpected moments uh, moments in the middle of the night you know moments when you you know can barely um free up yourself to to take part i mean yeah in nine yeah. years I imagine there's been a lot yeah so there's we've thankfully or not certainly not that i can remember i've not had many like middle of the night ones because they usually it's usually going to be like a an afternoon one where there's been an accident or yeah. it's it's kind of early evening when someone's overdue. Yeah, um, yeah. So it tends not to be too late at night, um, which is which is nice. But yeah, sometimes if I've been on the hill for work, um, then or it's really grim outside, and like I've because I work outside. Sometimes when it's really grim, I like I don't I feel like I just want to stay inside. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we can all appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah occasionally you're like oh this is this is bad timing but uh, you know you know there's somebody out there that needs needs assistance so there's quite an incentive um, yeah of course yeah uh, do you know how many calls you've been involved in um no actually i don't know off the top of my head um we're we're not a super busy team so we'll have somewhere between 15 and 30 call outs a year um so I don't know. Maybe somewhere around, as an average, I'd guess maybe somewhere seven to ten shouts per year, something yeah, like wow. that. Okay, yeah. So um, you know, a fair number. And yeah. And have um, have all of those been people who uh, have they been you know relatively straightforward? Have there been ones where you've you know gone out, found people, brought them home? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a a few of those. Um, yeah. So like I said, it kind of splits into two two types of callouts. So one where there's something's happened there's an accident there's usually a known location um and you might have a bit of information about what you're going to um and so that's that's um in some ways it's a bit easier because you know you know roughly where they are um it might be not 100 percent accurate but you've got a rough idea you know roughly what equipment you need to take um if you know of people's injuries, you might be looking to get other um, resources in, like a helicopter and that kind of thing. Um, and then the other type is you might just know where someone's parked their car mm. and you have to come up with a plan from that. Um, or you might have a rough idea of the, the route they're planning to take um, and and then, yeah, just to kind of coming up with how you're going to m- manage the team or, um, yeah, how are you going to try and find someone? That must be interesting, logical deduction. of They've parked there, so they're probably going to try and do that. So they yeah. probably went this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really interesting um, to have a think about um, what what you kind of prioritise and then, you know, if, if time's going on, like where you move to next and what other assets you can bring in, so like bringing search dogs in, for searches are they're amazing they can just clear such huge areas that would take yeah. us hours and hours um and they can do it 
so efficiently. Yeah, yeah, the MVP of the uh, yeah. search and rescue team. Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then um, the kind of newer, newer asset is drones as well. So bringing drones in to search big areas um, as well. So that's that's been a bit of a um, game changer as well. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not an unfamiliar site in the hills now. No. Um, yeah. So do, do, you, do, they, do you use them, you know, so there's someone manually looking through the camera or is there any kind of com- computer vision looking for heat signatures or, or the shape of a person or anything like that? Um, no, it's, it's someone using, um, like, goggles. Yeah, just having a look through. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, that's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, it makes you feel all the safer. Not that I plan mm. on ever calling Mountain Rescue, don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you've, you you paint this picture. You've been um, painting a very professional uh, picture of of all of your experience in the outdoors. I'm I'm wondering what the side experiences of it are like. So you're obviously drawn to a career in the outdoors for all of the reasons you've already outlined. But there must be moments where you find yourself in you know in the in the beauty of of, of our mountains. And do you ever feel overwhelmed by that, or do you ever feel like how am I able to do this as a career? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, beyond the actual work, are there side benefits to being in the hills all the time? Um, yes. Yeah. I think it's, um, I enjoy being active a lot of the time. I've noticed sometimes if I'm like around the house too much, I just get a bit antsy and I can't settle. Um, although like other times if I've been working lots, then I, I love a few days lounging on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's just take it takes you to some really cool places, and it's really I love being able to share what I get to experience with so many different people, um, and taking those folk to places they maybe they've wanted to go for years but wouldn't feel confident to by themselves, or or it might just be that they've never even known that these kinds of places exist within the UK. And it's just mind blowing yeah. for them. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's just such an integral part of my life now that it's it's hard to think about um, <laughs> <laughs> how it is. As someone who's modestly experienced, certainly compared to you, with the with the Scottish hills, I still see footage and and, and photos every winter mostly mm. which make me think i can't believe that's britain you know the yeah. the glory of it and the the intensity uh, of some of the mountainscapes and the yeah. condi- i mean it can be very very dangerous and, and beautiful in its way in the, yeah. the, the the most savage of the winter weather mm-hmm. um well i mean the, the fact that you're so relaxed about it is just am- <laughs> it's it's so <laughs> impressive you know because uh, i'm sure that you've you've been put through so, the ringer plenty of times especially with the mountain rescue work um so you, I've spoken to you entirely about your, the area where you mostly grew up, but mm-hmm. um, do you do do you work or travel for pleasure around the rest of Scotland? Do you go ever down to uh, Northwest England or or Northern Wales or or you know elsewhere on on planet Earth? Um, where where do you go for your mountain thrills when you're not working? Um, so I guess recently, the last few years, it has been very Scotland focused. Obviously, um, I. I've been like climbed in the lakes, climbed in North Wales and Pembroke and the Peak District, um, and Ireland and Northern Ireland as well. Um, so quite quite a UK focus, but I find it 
sometimes I find it hard to justify traveling when there's so much I want to still do in Scotland. Um, the thing that makes me travel is the weather. <laughs> sometimes like oh it's not gonna get anything done in scotland really yeah so. when, it, when it's wet and windy and uh, yeah. yeah yeah um and i've had a few like sunny uh, mediterranean based climbing trips for like this november december time of year where it's just rubbish everywhere yeah okay Bef- before it gets properly cold yeah yes yeah pre-winter but definitely definitely post summer <laughs> <laughs> aka autumn but yeah, the leaves yeah. have gone as well by that point so yeah well, yeah exactly beautiful about it yeah no, I no mean, it's yeah, just... that's harsh but you know th- there is yeah. a beauty but it's a very bleak beauty <laughs> yes yeah absolutely um but yeah i i love going to i love northwest scotland um i try and get out up there quite a bit um so anything kind of north of torridon really um it's just so so much so much climbing so many mountains i love the coastline um yes because you you um co-steering and canyoning and that kind of stuff you're also qualified to lead and teach that yeah yeah so those two activities are a bit funny in that there's only qualifications starting to come in now really um so they've not had the same structure or input for the last um like you know the mountain training awards have been going on for 50 odd years so um Co-steering and canyoning has been a much more uh, kind of been trained on the job and site-specific stuff. But again, I've been doing that for over ten years, and yeah, I love I love those. I love getting in the sea um, when I'm co-steering, and if it's if there's a bit of a bouncy swell and just bobbing around, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine the feeling. Um, it, it's you know what, what's really interesting to me is that because you've already done so much because uh, you, you couldn't have done more in the time that you've been working. What do, what sort of direction do you think you're heading in? Do you have a plan for where you'd like to be in another 10 years or what ultimately you might want to, to, to be in the outdoors? Um, I don't know. That my, so my long-term goal has been, and I remember like when I first found out about the Mountain Training Awards um, back when I was 17, was to, to do the Winter Mountaineering and Climbing Instructor Award um and the the ideal was to have have qualified by the time i was 30 um so i've got my training booked for this winter um and we'll just we'll see what happens well let's let's not forget two years of the pandemic um but yeah yeah, i mean i I see absolutely no reason why you won't have done that by the time you're 30 you've got Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah we'll see we'll see how that goes um but yeah i've kind of i've wanted to wanted to get to that stage for a long time and um it's it's this summer has felt a bit intimidating now knowing that there's there's like nothing no other prerequisites now like all all the other things have been ticked off and it's it's it can just happen yeah now, yeah like, okay. get on the training and I think it's always felt quite far away because it's like oh well I need to get my winter ml first oh I need to get my mci first and you know, I need to do all these things first. And now it's like, oh, it's, it's here. <laughs> well, realizing your dreams is uh, an intimidating thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, but yeah, after that, um, I'm not really sure. I'm just, I've enjoyed this year trying to do as big of a variety of work as I can, just to kind of see what I really enjoy. Um, and I think what I enjoy is the variety. I don't think there's like one thing in particular 
that I'm like, oh, I want to do loads of that. I just enjoy doing a bit of this and a bit of that. And yeah. Well, that's a good lesson for all of us in our careers because um, I think most people might feel familiar with something I feel very strongly, which is after about three years in any job, you start to get really itchy feet. And, mm. and that's mainly just due to lack of diversity in what you do. You know, if your job is constantly changing and, and you can make yeah. it that way, you know, yeah. then you're not going to get bored because there's always some change you can make, something new you can learn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because I think the other thing as well I realised is with having done my MCI, I had no other like summer qualifications. I was like, oh, never going to be working towards a thing in summer. I have like no, it's just occupied so much of my brain for so long that it's been really freeing. Um, but now like I've started mountain biking uh, just over 18 months ago and I'm like, oh, maybe... Maybe I'll think about some mountain biking qualifications as well. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, there you go. I mean, by by the time you're 35, you'll have every qualification. Yeah. And you can uh, found your own outdoor company and employ yeah. other people to do all the hard work. And uh, yeah. and you'll know how everything works and you'll know, what, you know what's going well and what's not. You'll be the perfect boss. Yeah. Um, so that's a plan. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, um, let's ask you about the other topic which I mentioned at the beginning mm. of our conversation which is um, a really interesting one so that's mm-hmm. about inclusivity in the hills yeah. and I would love to hear because uh, inclusivity um, like a lot of words which a lot of us hear in the workplace it, it's a very positive word but also it is yeah. just a word and yes. it means different things to different people so tell me what does inclusivity in the hills mean to you um to me it means that not only can anyone just go out onto the hills because realistically a lot a lot of the time people think that's where we are you know oh well there's nothing stopping it there's nothing to say that people can't get out there um so that's shouldn't be the end goal i think for me inclusivity is that everyone feels welcomed into the hills um and feels that it's a space that they would be comfortable in that's interesting, yeah. So, um, and so, let's go a bit deeper with that. So, who, who are you thinking of when you are thinking of people that might not feel that way? People that might not feel included or or completely comfortable going into the yeah. hills. Who, who who is not represented? Who who's not um, feeling included? So, I think it's hard to feel included if you don't see yourself represented. Um, so, we've got a lot of minority groups that kind of get spoken about a lot whether that's women um people of color lgbtq plus community um disabled people uh people from lower income families um yeah there's a lot of a lot of those kind of minority groups that we see are less well represented um and i think that makes it hard to feel like it's a place you can belong um the other thing that makes it hard, I think, is not having that kind of generational experience. So if it's not something that you're, you've seen your family done, you've been brought up in that space, or you know you've been just told or taken there on holiday as a kid or whatever, if that's not happened to you, it's hard to feel like that's something that can be open to you. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear because. Um... I don't want to speak on your behalf, but we are mm. fairly typical 
of people that you might see in the British Hills. And you went walking with your family when you were a kid and you know, growing yeah. up in the west of Scotland. And I, um, I looked like most historical mountaineers, just without yeah. the skill or bravery, um, because I'm a English-speaking white male. And mm-hmm. um, it's very easy. You know, this conversation happens in so many different spheres, but it's very easy for us to feel as though, of course, it's open, as you said. You know, of course, everyone's yeah. welcome. But that point about representation um, is is valid in every single sphere, and and we all feel it. You know, I'm sure we, you know. You go to the hills, and it, it can feel like a sort of monoculture sometimes, can't it? Yeah, and, yeah, and totally. it's, very, it's fine for us to say everyone's welcome, but do they feel it? Yes, yeah, exactly. Like if we're looking at it from us and saying, oh, well, I've never experienced any barriers and there's no sign at the bottom saying you can't be here. So it's just that people don't want to come. It's like, well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. Hmm. Um, so I'm I'm actually mixed race as well. My mum's Indian um, and I know that she, um, she's been, she's got into the hills uh, from when she met my dad, but when she was in school, um, the Indian community in her school didn't have the option to do their Duke of Edinburgh while the the white kids did and but things like that. Actually didn't actually couldn't sign up to it. No. Wow. No. Oh, that's yeah. um that's an eye opener. Yeah. And it's yeah. not like that happened like that long ago, you know. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just one generation away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. And and it's these kinds of experiences and feelings which um led you to um our, our shared outdoors which is yeah. a, a, group, a group that you co-founded, is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a group of people that want to see things become more inclusive and um, diverse within the outdoors um, and really uh, push for that representation. Um, and we're all aware that we are in these spaces already, so we're in a privileged position um, and we're hoping to use some of that to to help make it easier for other people. That's great. I mean, what, what kind of things um, do you do? And then I guess I'll ask afterwards, what kind of things can we all do? Yeah, so we've um, we've got a few things we uh, kind of focus on. So one is putting on film events um, that are that show films that are either following or made by people from these um, kind of underrepresented groups. Um, we have been highlighting funding that is available to people um, and are offering support to fill out funding applications and that kind of thing because that in itself can be a bit of a barrier just you know actually I think it's easier for us if we've done it you know we've we've got experience of having done it and we you know funding things can have a bit of a language in themselves and the things they want to hear so just all of that can be a bit tricky um and that's funding for whether it's personal skills you want to gain or personal trips or you want to go down an outdoor qualifications line um and then the other thing we've done is we've we've taken quite a break from this actually um because we've all kind of gone back to back to work a little bit after covid but we're, we're going to be getting back to it is um, some educational posts on instagram um just mm. about around kind of a bit of myth busting and and about why it isn't the case that everyone is just welcome in the outdoors automatically yeah sure sure 
Yeah, it's it's interesting to see. I mean, there's, there are lots of people. I say lots. There are um, prominent people who are starting groups to um, get people from uh, non-white British backgrounds in the UK mm-hmm. more involved if they want to be. Obviously, more involved yeah. in hill walking in the outdoors. Um, so you you get sort of um, uh, British Asian walking groups, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, which is really exciting to see, and you know, yeah. it's. As you say, it's partly that visibility, which then allows other people mm-hmm. to see. Well, of course, I'm welcome because you know they're there. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 interesting to hopefully we'll look back in you know twenty thirty years time and and see uh, perhaps a more diverse outdoors yeah. and and that this was a step towards that. So it's you know I, I, I'm keen to see what uh, what you can do and mm-hmm. wish you all the luck with it. I guess another question I'd ask you, which I hinted at before, was. Um, as someone who's not involved in a an, any kind of organization, someone who's just a mm-hmm. hill walker or a mountaineer or a climber, what do you think yeah. generally people can do to to sort of flag or signpost that everyone is truly welcome? Yeah. Um, so I think just um, just chatting to people is good. Chatting to people that maybe you don't usually see on the hills is great. Making them feel welcome in, in that way because reading or chatting to um, some of the people you mentioned, um, they they get a lot of like little little comments, little remarks that you know as a one off might be right, but it wears you down after yeah, a yeah. full day of it of just constantly being questioned about your experience and your you know like oh do you, do you know where you're going do you know what this hill is like yeah. are you sure you have the right equipment to be here kind of thing um so just actually being a friendly face <laughs> and a, a nice chat is good um but also i think it's really important that we you know if we want to create a more inclusive outdoor community then collectively we need to call things out if we see something that's uh kind of inhibiting that so um, whether that's online or in person or whatever, just, just you know, we're coming from a place of privilege and so we're in a good position to call that out yeah. and we might just be seeing it once, but it could be happening to some people like 15, 20 times a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would drag you down. Yeah. Um, as a, can I ask you, um, as, a, yeah. as a mixed race woman, uh, mm-hmm. have you experienced any of this kind of thing yourself? Um, no, not really. No, I've, um, yeah, I feel like I've been very privileged and, um, have, um, yeah, I don't think I've really had any majorly notable incidents. Um, there's just, yeah, there's little bits of like casual sexism that just, you know, it's, it's generational and it might not go away for a while. Um, (laughs) just people maybe not talking directly to me or oh, yeah. like yeah. if I'm working with a guy, kind of reverting to chatting to them more or that kind of thing. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah I've not had anything like major. Well, um, I, I get the impression that you've been very competent from a you know relatively young age. So that oh, that comes across in your yeah. manner and that may have insulated you from it. But um, but yeah, as you say, even yeah. then you still encounter little bits of it. So yeah, yeah just... just um, just a bit more sensitivity, I think, all around is you know that's certainly yeah. something which I, I'm trying to bear in mind because I'd hate to think that I was making any of these, you know, because you wouldn't know. I think most of the time you wouldn't yeah. know that you were being um, 
disrespectful in that way yeah you know because yeah. otherwise you probably wouldn't do it if you if you were yes. truly aware that you were doing it yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah. well that's really interesting to hear so th- uh, thanks Kirsty. and um I guess um, there are there are two questions which I like to ask everyone, and I'm just mm-hmm. as I say this, I realise I probably didn't email these to you, and I always email them to everyone. So I'm really <laughs> no sorry. I'm throwing. You know, we can if there's any long pauses, I'll edit them out. But okay. uh, there's two questions I love to end every interview with, and um, yeah, uh, one of them is, um, do you have a favoured mountain memory? Do you have a moment in your hill walking, climbing, mountaineering? career which you look back on and think that was a great day or that was formative or that was a disaster or uh, that was funny anything like that is there any moment which you like to look back on and think that was the time where I became a mountaineer or, or anything similar um there's as you are asking that I was just like running back and there's just been so many great days um let's think I think um doing climbing the chasm on the buckle with my boyfriend was was a a good long day ah, so, so that's uh, book a letter more at the yes. um at the beginning of glencoe at the head of glencoe yeah. yeah um so the chasm is uh a big it's in the it's a classic rock climb so it's in the book classic rock um and it's given a grade of vs but it's not it's not like your typical climb really um and we did it in 2018 when there'd been a bit of a summer drought because usually it's it's like a it's it's a canyon basically it's a drainage line. All <laughs> oh, right, okay, yeah. So you, need, you need a drought, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you're really you're just really brave. Slash. <laughs> um, Short lived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, are, yeah. <laughs> there are no bold old climbers. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was that was quite a full on day, um, and one of those where like it was overall overall enjoyable but there was times where I was like oh wow what have I done like what decisions did I take in my life that have led me to this moment <laughs> and why did I make those decisions <laughs> <laughs> oh um, but that clarity I can feel that clarity yeah. that's the excitement isn't it yeah like everything yeah. comes down to now yeah 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 um in and then uh winter I had in winter 2020 I was a host on the Scottish International Winter Climbing Meet. Um, and that felt like quite a big deal for me. Um, sorry. We've got a guest. Yes. There's a dog outside. Who <laughs> That's quite all right. Likes to be the centre of attention. Not the first <laughs> pet to make it onto a recording of Mountain Air. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So being a host, it felt like a big deal because up until that point, I guess I'd, I'd done a fair bit of winter climbing, but I didn't always feel like I still felt like a bit of a passenger at times if that makes sense I know know that feeling yeah yeah so that for me was like actually I I can do this I can be the one making decisions I can I can be like I wasn't guiding or anything you know we were paired up with climbers who could climb but we were showing around the area and it just yeah it felt like a big deal yeah oh that's yeah that moment um I know exactly what you mean, and it's an incredible feeling of freedom, isn't it? To think, yes. I, I don't, I don't feel anxious at all. I know I can do yeah. this. I yeah. am in control of this situation as much as you can be. I'm, yeah. What a time! That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh well, good. Those are lovely. Thank you for giving me a summer and a winter one. That was lovely. <laughs> um, and the other question is, um, is perhaps easier to uh, say without any preparation, which is, mm-hmm. if I were to say to you right now that you've got all the time, money, and freedom that you could possibly want, mm-hmm. no other 
considerations whatsoever. Where would you go and what would you do? Um, I would love to do a big uh, climbing road trip across Canada and the US. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Would that be dry rock, summer summer rock? Uh, yes. I think majority. Yes. Hmm. And are there any places in particular that you've thought of in this dream trip? Um, I mean, obviously, Yosemite is a big one. I'd love to go to Squamish. Um, and then some of like the the desert spots in Utah and stuff would be amazing as well. All right. All very familiar from a lot of adventure film festivals. I can see why that would appeal. Yeah, yeah magical. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, let Alex Honnold know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully sometime. Well, the good point, that's a very achievable goal. That's that's a great, yeah. great dream to have. Yeah, I think you could mm. probably do that tomorrow if you wanted. Um, <laughs> so, wonderful. All right, well, if you do, then you send me, send us some pictures. Um, yes, I will do, yeah. Flag them up. <laughs> yeah. uh, superb. Well, Kirsty, it's been a real pleasure. And um, thanks for taking the time. And you yeah. are... I think there's probably 50-50 between the guests uh, on this podcast who, I've, who I have met or previously met in, in person and I haven't. And sadly, yes. you're one of the people I haven't met yet. But um, yeah. I'll, I'll drop your line when I drive through Oban next time. And, yes, uh, yes, do. Yeah. Uh, what, what does the rest of the week hold for you? It's Well, it's actually Friday midday Friday. at the moment. So uh, weekend of, uh, of exciting downtime? Or, um, uh, <laughs> yes, because I went biking on Wednesday and fell off and I've tweaked my shoulder. So... I need a bit of rest time for that. Um, and then um, I need a bit of prep. On Tuesday, I fly out to Switzerland for a week at ICAR, which is um, the International Commission for Alpine Rescue. So it's a big rescue conference. It's my first time there, so I'm quite excited. Wow. I, w- I did actually think, as you were saying about how you were getting to the end of your qualifications here, I thought she's going to go for an IFMGA mountain guide. She'll go to Switzerland <laughs> next week and suddenly, before you know it, she'll be an aspirant. And, uh, and then by the time you're 40, you'll be queen of the Alps. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'll ever climb that hard. For that, but <laughs> well, we'll, great, see. yeah. I mean, yeah. enjoy Switzerland. Yeah. Wonderful country. Thank you. Yeah. yeah that should be should be good and it'll be it'll be not it'll be mountain based but also not it'll be okay. a, a lot of mountain chat but not always on mountains so it'll be quite nice to... oh, just like this podcast yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. cool yeah. all right well thank you so much Kirsty. it's been a pleasure no worries thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mountain Air. If you enjoyed it, then why not visit the website at mountainairpodcast.uk. You can find the podcast on Twitter at mountainairpod, that's M-T-N-A-I-R-P-O-D. It's also on Instagram at mountainairpodcast. If you'd like to subscribe wherever you found this podcast, that would be a huge help. And why not leave a review while you're at it? That way, other like-minded people can find it too. Take care and see you on the summit.